Welcome to the Sifted podcast supported by our sponsors, Zendesk for Startups and recorded at Dream Factory. I'm Amy, Sifted's editor. And I'm Eleanor, Sifted's deputy editor. And at Sifted, we report on Europe's startup ecosystem. And in this podcast, every week, we talk about the top news stories that our journalists have been working on. We talk about some of the opinion pieces that we have been publishing. And we speak to some of the journalists who've been out there reporting the stories. Today, we're going to be talking to our reporter, Freya Pratty, about carbon economics. She's our sustainability guru at Sifted, so she's got lots of views on this. We'll be talking both about carbon capture and carbon accounting, two important technologies that sustainability startups are working on, and both quite controversial in their own ways. We'll also be chatting with innovation editor Maya Palmer about the metaverse. And finally, we're going to be talking about startups cooking up lab-grown breakfasts of the future. Very intriguing. So, Elena, you are not currently sitting in the little podcast booth with me. You are in Poland at the interestingly named Wolves Summit. Is that about zoo tech? (laughs) No, it's actually not about zoo tech. And I'm not really sure why it's called the Wolves Summit, but I'm at something called Alpha Wolves. So it's a GP and LP conference. So bringing together VCs and then also investors in VCs from across Europe. It's been really interesting so far. I just got in yesterday and I've already talked to some cool founders from the region, VCs from outside of CEE who are investing in the region. It's still a very young ecosystem. So it's really interesting to see a much younger ecosystem than the UK or France or Germany, where I feel like I've spent most of my time. So the VCs and LPs from all over the all over Europe, all over the world, or just from CEE? Uh, from all over the world. There's some VCs that are, you know, split like CEE and then they have an office somewhere else. There are some that are from outside the region, met a Turkish fund last night, some Asian investors. So it's really a big mix. But I mean, I guess what that goes to show is a lot of people are really interested in and excited about CEE. Which means Central Eastern Europe for anyone who isn't familiar with the acronym. And back at HQ, we've had loads of news this week. This morning, we have a piece up about Grover, which is a Berlin-based consumer electronics rental startup, which basically means you could rent a smartphone or rent a TV rather than buying one. And this is kind of part of the growing circular economy. And the idea behind that is that you don't necessarily need to buy everything you use and it's better for the world if in fact several people use those things. Yeah, I think there was like a really interesting little nugget in the story about this GoPro that's been used by a ton of people. That's like Yeah, it was like 27 times or something. And the founders were like, we would like every item to be used as much as that GoPro. I also jumped into the news waters this week and wrote a piece about a gaming company. Hang on. Web3 gaming nfts that's and this was a lot of fun for everyone in the office because eleanor was literally sitting there being like who plays fifa who understands fifa who can read this bit of my piece and tell me if it makes sense and then we had both johnny and kai leaping to her defense and helping her make sure that she had in fact understood how to play fifa and why is fifa relevant for this eleanor um so this company is actually trying to build an alternative to fifa as are 
FIFA fan colleagues have told me they're not the only ones trying to do this. Lots of people have tried to challenge the FIFA game before, but they are trying to do it in a way that you'll be able to actually own the players that you play with in the game using NFTs. So you'll sign up for the game. You're going to be allocated some free players, and then you can trade those players or you can buy other players from people. So we'll see. They were a little bit skeptical. Yeah, and the and the company which is called Goals and is based in Stockholm and raised fifteen million dollars. Also, was a little bit shady on some of the exact details on how this game would be played, weren't they, Anna? Definitely, there's not a lot of details on how it's going to be played. But interesting, what they were like very clear on, which I thought was interesting, is they were doing a lot on diversity and inclusion. So one of their first hires was actually their inclusion lead, and. The founder who I spoke to talked about playing FIFA with his daughters and his daughters being like, but wait, why can't we play with female players? And so one of the things that they want to work on is making a game that's much more inclusive for all people who are interested in playing a football game. Nice. And then I guess the final bit of news before we crack on with our main stories is that Jamjar, which is a VC firm based in London, but investing all over Europe, which was founded by the people who set up Innocent Drinks, which are those very, very tasty smoothies that later got bought by Coca-Cola. They basically set up a fund and at first they were just using their own money, but now they've raised their first institutional fund or fund with institutional money from the British Business Bank and they've raised 100 million pounds which they will be investing in more consumer focused startups so if you are a early stage consumer startup then maybe you want to hit them up or also reach out to Sifted and we can talk (laughs) we can talk so now let's crack on with our first story which is all about carbon economics with our sustainability legend Freya Pratty Freya, it's been a big week in the climate tech world. What happened? Tell me. Yeah, it's been a really big week. So on Monday, the IPCC, which is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, released their latest report. And this one's focused on mitigation strategies for climate change. And it's a really long report. They always are. But this one focused in particular on strategies that can help remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. And it was a bit of a divergence from previous reports because this one stressed the importance of tech-enabled carbon dioxide removal and keeping us below 1.5 degrees of heating. And it's significant because it's the first time the IPCC has put emphasis on tech like that as a form of keeping us within targets. They also stress the need for nature-based carbon removal, but the reports diverged in bringing in tech as well. It almost feels like they kind of like, I don't know, set the stage or queued up the big announcement that came the day after. There was a huge round the next day, which you wrote about. Freya, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so the next day, Climeworks, which is the biggest CO2 removal startup in the world, announced a $650 million round, which is huge for climate tech. And they're really trying to, as you said, put what the IPCC said into practice. So they're running a CO2 removal plant in Iceland. It's called Orca, and it's the biggest in the world. And it's currently removing 4,000 tonnes of CO2 out of the atmosphere each year. And it's doing that by basically moving large quantities of air over this chemical compound, which then filters out CO2, and that compound can be heated and the CO2 can kind of drain off into the ground or to make fuels. And is that 4,000 tonnes a lot, a little 
So it's it's a lot for this tech. It's the the, the largest amount anyone's managing. But in terms of the targets we need to meet, it's quite small. So if you think about it, the latest stat we have on the amount of CO2 globally we're emitting is from 2019. And that was 59 billion tonnes. So 4,000 tonnes is, is really small. And the IPCC said within their modelling, they think we'd need to remove 17 billion tonnes out of the atmosphere each year from 2050 onwards. So 4,000 is it's it's a lot for, for the tech, but for the, for the targets, it's not a lot. But Climeworks have said that this new funding will go into a new plant. And that should be, they said, removing a million tonnes by 2030. So, so it is going to be a big jump up. But yeah, there's, there's a long way to go to meet the target. And what does an investment of that size mean for, for Europe and for this kind of tech? It's a huge amount. Yeah, it's no one has really raised around that big in climate tech, except for someone like Northvolt, the battery startup from Sweden. So it shows that Europe is really leading on this. Climeworks has the biggest plant in the world. But it's also just, I think the round is meaningful outside of Europe as well. It shows that the IPCC saying these things, money is going towards it as well. And then I guess there was some other climate tech news this week. There was another big round, like obviously not on the kind of scale as Climeworks, but another big round in Europe into carbon accounting startup Sweep. Talk a little bit about that one, Freya. Yeah, so Sweep, which is based in Paris, raised $73 million. So yeah, in comparison to Climeworks, it's not a huge round, but for that sector, it's big. So they work on carbon accounting, which is helping companies to measure their emissions. And the thing that I think Sweep think they can bring to the table that's different is helping companies measure scope three, which is kind of indirect emissions that would happen in your supply chain. And what I thought was really interesting from talking to them was they'd said that they've had discussions with politicians where they've been told they can't regulate on these indirect emissions because no one can measure them. And Sweep's argument is like, we're showing you we can measure these things and tech can help us measure them. So you need to go and regulate because we've shown you that that they can measure it. They need to be regulated on that. So I've heard that some people don't think that carbon accounting is an area of sustainability that we should really be spending a lot of time or money. And it's kind of controversial. Why might that be? Yeah, I think the controversy comes from the fact that it's an area that's attracting a lot of VC investment. It's one of the fastest growing areas in terms of VC funding. And I think people think that there could be better applications of funding. So although helping companies assess where their emissions are going is is useful in some ways, perhaps actually working on tech that could reduce emissions in the first place would be a better use of VC money. But then it's the question of is hardware tech that can actually remove carbon or lower emissions, that's a, that's a really difficult investment for a VC to make because it's, it takes so much money and it's really long term. So I guess this is kind of the one area of climate tech that is VC backable. So that's why it's getting lots of money. And I think it's also to do with the fact that if you measure your emissions, a lot of these platforms can be focused on offsetting things rather than helping you think about ways you could remodel your, your business to actually reduce from the start. And now we're going to fly from the world of carbon accounting and carbon capture into the metaverse. Maya, you wrote a story about a metaverse this week that people might not really think about when they think about the metaverse. I feel like most people think about Facebook when they think about the metaverse. But you wrote about the eduverse. Tell us more about this. (laughs) 
Yeah, so the edgyverse, I think, is probably one of the most kind of in the immediate term investable parts of the metaverse. And so this was a story about Labster, which is has actually been doing this kind of thing for much longer than we've been talking about the metaverse. Um, well, it's been sort of doing these um, immersive educational games for about 11 years. So if you put students into this kind of super immersive environment to learn about various things to do with, you know, biochemistry, that might make it fun. And then they've been kind of going with that and, and mainly focusing on kind of virtual lab experiments and that science side. But I think they have kind of aspirations to really kind of bring this sort of thing to all aspects of learning in the future. And do you have to have a VR headset to go into their edgiverse or whatever you want to call it? Yeah, no. So, I mean, I think that's a kind of misconception, really. I mean, a lot of people conflate sort of metaverse and, you know, that it's always going to be this VR headset thing. You know, there are elements of this that you can do with a VR headset, and that's quite fun. But you can also, you know, they've really focused on the fact that of making these experiences that you can have even just on your smartphone or on, you know, a pretty basic laptop. So you don't have to be surrounded by this. And that's partly because, again, it's not, there aren't that many VR headsets in the world. And if you're really trying to bring a different kind of education to the whole world, which is their aspiration, you know, you have to make sure that it works on, you know, a $50 mobile phone that somebody might be having in the developing world where, you know, you might not even have electricity for the whole day, etc. Right. So in those cases, they've really focused on sort of making the storylines quite immersive so you don't not in it but you're still quite very engaged it's kind of gamified as you're going along and learning these these educational facts they also have some really impressive investors i was just looking at you know reading through your article and was super impressed what do you think are some of the reasons that they were able to attract capital from those huge names like why are these investors excited about the space yeah, so they do have a really good roster. I mean, you've got the likes of Andreessen Horowitz, um, North Zone, and, and David Helgeson, who was the founder of Unity. But I think it comes down to, you know, a lot of investors are looking at the metaverse at the moment, and they're kind of trying to figure out which pieces are not such big leaps of faith, I guess, you know, because we're still working out exactly how the metaverse is going to play out. You know, is it all going to be about NFT based games where you're earning money by growing and training, a, I don't know, a kitten that you sell to somebody? Or, you know, is it going to be around immersive experiences? And when investors look at this, the sense that I get is that, you know, training and education are kind of one of the like the safer first bets that you can make. I mean, there's quite a lot. It's not kind of the sexiest part, maybe of the metaverse, right? But it's the one where you can see real money being made, because you're already seeing a lot of businesses that are doing VR based training. So companies like Lufthansa are training almost all their flight attendants using VR technology. And then you're seeing it now kind of starting to come into schools. So, you know, and another thing I mentioned in the article was, you know, the Indian government is kind of bringing in some VR-based learning and other immersive learning in its kind of government schools. So I think investors kind of sense that money-making potential, which is going to come in the sort of short to medium term. Speaking of like what the metaverse could look like in the future, we had a really interesting op-ed this week as well from Adam Trigstrom, founder of streaming aggregator Playpilot in Sweden, who was talking about how his kind of vision for the metaverse and how people would be successful, founders, companies would be successful in the metaverse is by creating content and features that were interoperable so that you could use them between metaverses and between different providers of metaverses. Is that something you hear people talking about, Maya? Like, what do you think of that? 
Yeah, I mean, it's not going to be one metaverse, but I don't think we'll be talking about metaverses. It'll be just the metaverse, like we talk about the internet. And, you know, everybody then has kind of websites and platforms and things on the one internet, right? And you can, the, all of those are by and large interoperable. So some companies may th- feel that they want to own the metaverse, you know, the likes of Meta or Microsoft are certainly making kind of big plays to be big names and big platforms there. But ultimately, if you people want to use this, uh, or if, they, if you want people to be uh, really engaged in using this, you have to be able to kind of dip in and out. I mean, some people, you know, see the metaverse, this is just like a an extension of, of what we have as the internet today. We don't exactly know how it's going to evolve, what it's going to, how people will be interacting with it, but it will be this kind of big public space. This podcast is brought to you by Zendesk for startups. Zendesk helps startups build lasting customer experiences from day one. With the Zendesk for Startups program, startups get Zendesk customer support software for free for six months. You'll get access to expert advice and a community of founders and CX experts to help you build the foundation for long-term growth. Learn more and claim your six months free at zendesk.com forward slash sifted. So we are keeping Maya on for another little segment and she's going to tell us all about her piece she wrote on breakfasts along with Mimi Billing, our reporter in Stockholm. So where did this idea come from, Maya? So we've seen news stories trickling in over the last couple of years about various kind of foodstuffs that can be now made in the lab. And we're talking about sort of, you know, programming, you know, yeast and, and other microorganisms to be able to produce, you know, the equivalents of sort of milk and eggs. And then we saw that, you know, it's now possible to make coffee in the lab as well. And we, it just got us thinking that, gosh, you can actually now have a full breakfast, which would be sort of, you know, yogurt, scrambled eggs, bacon and coffee and none of that has to involve a single animal or a coffee plant in its production. Cool and what's going to hit our plates first? So yeah we really wanted to look at where these various foods were in in, in this process and so the first ones you're really going to get is our sort of milk and eggs those are really close and the remaining sort of hurdles that they have is really just trying to get the price point down but with those ones they are kind of getting there and so they're kind of confident that they can bring a product to the market that's not going to cost you sort of the equivalent of what you'd pay for some nice organic eggs for example. With milk it's a little bit difficult because the dairy industry is very heavily subsidized in a lot of countries right and so Milk is hard to compete with, but you could make speciality products, right? Like yogurt or, you know, maybe some nice ice cream. And one of the milk companies you speak about, Remilk from Israel, they have like a slightly different approach to animal-free dairy, don't they, from what's currently out there? Yeah, so obviously there's a lot of milk substitutes, you know, the oat milks and the soya milks, and then there's, you know, the various kind of vegan cheeses. And But the problem is that they just don't taste the same as milk, right? You might really, lo- I really love oat milk, for example, but I've never found a vegan cheese that no, actually... vegan cheese leaves a had to be desired. Yeah. So this is so this is different because it's actually biologically, chemically, in every way the same as milk. It's just not made with a cow. It's made by a modified yeast. So it has when you uh, when people taste this, I mean it has exactly the same taste profile as you get. And so 
cheese made with with real milk would taste like actual cheese. Wow! And but the dairy industry are not very happy about this, are they? You mentioned Tom Dunn, who's the vice president of the European Dairy Farmers Association, who said uh, lab-grown dairy was Frankenstein stuff and will always be missing something. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot of very well entrenched industries that are going to want to prevent, you know, protect their market share. And so, yes, I guess the um, counter narrative is going to begin, and you know, there may be a lot of stories about about how, you know, this might not be good for you, etc. I think, you know, some of these, we, we have to see how that plays out, but you could make the argument that it's actually could theoretically be better for you than milk because you could take out some of the things like, you know, the cholesterol and, you know, the lactose sugars that lots of people actually re- who have um, milk intolerances react to. So there's an argument to be had. Definitely probably go on in the media. We'll see how that goes. Interesting. And would if you took out things like cholesterol, would it taste different? Well, so th- that's what I think Remilk has been spending quite a lot of time doing is actually breaking down what are the components of milk and what are the components that you really need to have to make it taste like milk, right? Because they don't want to, in fact, it it's, it's, takes a lot of effort for them to produce all of these different proteins and components that they might have in milk. So they only want to zero in on the ones that are important. So they probably have a really good understanding of what makes milk milk and what you could leave out. And what about coffee? Why? I mean, animal, you know, stuff from animals, you kind of understand why you want to remove animals from the process. But why? What's wrong with the, the, the humble coffee plant? Yeah, I mean, I think there's not as much of a kind of need to make a lab grown coffee. So we have to emphasize this was kind of a lab experiment. So it was done by the Finnish VTT, which is like a, a, a kind of government laboratory. So they do a lot of crazy experiments. So I'm not sure how seriously we're going to be seeing lab grown coffee. But I mean, there is a problem with coffee and the price is going up. And with climate change, a lot of the coffee growing areas are really suffering. So maybe there's a kind of thought in the back of their minds that if coffee supplies become endangered around the world, that it might be nice to have something in our back pocket that we could grow it in the lab. There's there's one little problem with this, which amused me hugely because we tried to ask, what does this coffee taste like? And they didn't really say it outright, but if you read between the lines, I think it didn't taste good. And I don't think that's necessarily to do with the lab growing process. I think they just didn't roast it correctly because they're not really coffee roasters and experts. I think they just dried it in the oven. And my feeling was it tasted kind of rank, but it did have caffeine in it. So there was something. Okay, so there's a future where climate change has slightly ruined the world, but we can at least get horrible tasting caffeine. Yeah, and maybe somebody will figure out how to roast it correctly and then we might be okay. So, But we can definitely have caffeine in a future where, you know, all the coffee plants have died. And on that enlightening note... We shall end this episode of The Sifted Podcast. Thank you very, very much, Maya and also Freya. If you want to hear more about what's unfolding in the world of European tech and startups, please head over to www.sifted.eu. We also want to sneak in two little plugs. One is for our next members event, which is taking place in Paris on the 21st of April. So if you are a Sifted member or you would like to become one just to head along to the event, please come and see us there. We'll be at Station F, the mega, mega startup campus. And we also have our big all day event in Tallinn taking place on May the 3rd, where we'll be talking about all sorts of exciting and very, very useful topics for founders and sort of startup leaders. So if you are one of those you can get a free ticket on our website 
And if you want to also read all of our great articles about lab-grown breakfasts or the future of climate tech, you can join our newsletters. Just go to Sifted and you can find our newsletters there or follow us on Twitter at SiftedEU. And please, please, please let us know what you think of the podcast on Twitter or drop us a line at hello at sifted.eu. Looking forward to seeing everyone next week. Bye. Bye.